Welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast sponsored by the Academic and Special Library section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris. And once again, we've been on a very long hiatus uh, for for reasons known only to ourselves. But we are back with a new episode and uh, inspired by Christian Larison and his library tourism from our last episode. On my recent holiday, I decided to combine uh, visiting friends with some library tourism and recording uh, an episode of Librarians Allowed. So we were there visiting uh, our family in in Hastings. So for that reason, uh, this episode features Tim Lentz, who is not just a very old friend, but also the librarian in Hastings Public Library. And where or what is Hastings? Uh, Hastings, Nebraska. I have to hand you over to our, our editor, Michael Ferris, to explain more about where Hastings is, um, what we were doing in Hastings Public Library and what the reason was for us interviewing Tim, our old friend, and some more about the fact that the three of us, despite not starting out in libraries, have somehow all ended up working in libraries. So where's Hastings, Mike? Well, Hastings is uh, it's in Nebraska, obviously. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of a central, kind of south central. It's about three hours drive from uh, Omaha, which is the biggest city, and then maybe another, if you're going to Denver, about seven hours. So it's... And for, for, for Irish people, uh, Nebraska is the, the bit right in the middle of America? <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much the center, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I met Tim in 1993 when we started going to Hastings College, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he was working, seems like he was working in the college library from pretty early on there. You know, the library there, it's, it's named after... Edward Perkins, who's the founder of uh, Kool-Aid. He's the founder of Kool-Aid. I do know that. I've yeah, been yes, to Hastings yes. several You've times. You've been to the museums, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Hastings people are very proud of the founder of Kool-Aid. I suppose we are, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I've been, I, w- I would have been going to Hastings Public Library since uh, my family moved there in 1984. And probably up until even when I was in college, I would go there occasionally for some some resources. Yeah, it's, it's it's always been a great library, and I'm just very impressed to see it. Uh, the the remodeling of it when we were there. I was incredibly impressed to to see um, the beautiful, new, incredibly welcoming, very uh, technologically advanced. Yes, uh, it was very library yeah, with yeah. The great maker spaces. Mm. Um, so in this episode, I have a chat with Tim about Hastings Public Library, about the work that he does there, and uh, I'll let him take it from there. <laughs> Okay, so this is an unusual episode of Librarians Allowed. It's the first one to be recorded, not the first one to be recorded outside of Ireland, but the first one to be recorded in the US. Uh, I'm here for reasons, you know, known only to me um, in Hastings, Nebraska, uh, with an old friend and fellow librarian, Tim Lentz. Uh, Tim, you are the librarian here in Hastings Public Library, yeah? That is correct. Um, there is a director and then two librarians. Uh, sometimes those librarians have been given more specific titles. 
to date, my uh, fellow librarian and I have kind of resisted uh, pigeonholing ourselves as anything other than librarians, but um, it winds up meaning uh, manager in some aspects. It winds up meaning um, taking care of some of the technical services, cataloging, etc. Mm. Um, it winds up meaning uh, keeping an eye on our makerspace. Which I'm looking at now, and it's beautiful and has a lot of really great gadgets that I would like to get my sticky hands on. <laughs> yes, well, um, you know, it, it's open right now, so after the interview, I won't, uh, I won't keep you from your travels, but we could... Um, you know, go make things yeah. if you if you want. Um, so yeah, you you've been in this role for about six months, but let's go back to like what was your first experience of libraries? You know, whenever you were a kid, did you use the library much? Did you ever think you would end up being a librarian? What was your what was your ex first experiences of of libraries? Uh, I used the libraries a lot. I, I did a lot of the summer reading programs. Um, I enjoyed the libraries. When I was little, I went to story times, uh, all of those things. Um, it never occurred to me that you could work there, I guess. So, yeah. Um, were, were librarians here a little bit like they were in my experience when I was a child, and they were sort of scary and very authoritative figures? Yes. I mean, there was definitely one in our local library in, in the town I grew up in who scared the crap out of me and chased me out of the adult section once and I think put me off going back to the library for a little while so oh, I, know, I, in my head I just kind of thought that's definitely not I would hate to end up like that <laughs> right um yeah even even the friendly ones were intimidating I mm. mean there's um there's an authority in the position of librarian mm. and um you know, Apparently, I think one of we're one of those very trusted professions. Yes, along with, yes. Like, more so than lawyers, because obviously everyone thinks they're a little bit shady. Right, you trust the lawyer for the knowledge, but you don't trust them for the ethics. Yeah, but you know they're going to screw you on the cost of their uh, advice. Right. Um, yeah, I think we're I think we're trusted in a lot of spheres, and then also, I think respected to the point of, um, you know, some some shyness or reticence around librarians mm -hmm. and we work hard to break that down um, yeah I'm the only um, man employed in this library right now really uh, I yeah, was we, just, we are such a, a female heavy profession. yeah it's it's so. a good thing um, I was just talking with my director the other day about that though and um, she mentioned you know Tim, you are a certain kind of representation in this library, which mm -hmm. is, as a as a white male, that's usually not anything. <laughs> usually I have to going worry in the about. other yeah. direction, <laughs> no, a little bit top heavy on the white males in most professions. Right, right. Um, but because of that, we're actually going to um, just routinely schedule me hours at the desk just to mm -hmm. be out there to see other men who come into the library to see really boys who come into the library to help them think about, yeah, this is a place for you. Mm. This is a place that you could grow up to work in, for that matter. Um, it's uh, yeah. They're probably at um, 
a group that would have quite high, um, are you familiar with the term library anxiety? We use a lot in academic uh, libraries, yes, you know, that, that yeah. genuine kind of psychological distress about going into somewhere mm -hmm. like a library, especially when it's a big, beautiful building and you're not quite sure where everything is in the sense of right. you know, needing some sort of a blueprint of understanding how to navigate the space before you even set foot in there. Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's all these norms and knowledge around libraries that if you don't have them it becomes very intimidating to go in there mm. um, mm -hmm. some of us probably get off on that I, I think um, there's an old school of that very authoritative type of librarian who definitely yes. got off on that I certainly remember that from <clears throat> even when I went to university the library was a yeah. very kind of closed hallowed space that you you know were called out on if you didn't um negotiate it correctly yeah if you didn't know how yeah or you know i mean it's as simple as like i give free reign if somebody asks one of the folks who are just shelving books hey where do i find this hmm. um our folks will help you find that i have also worked in libraries not my decision but i have also worked in libraries where if you were a shelver and i've been a shelver in some of these libraries if somebody asks you to find a book it is your responsibility to direct them to a full-fledged, very serious reference librarian. Mm. And the full-fledged, serious reference librarian uh, will then sort of condescend to help this hapless person. But our public does not know. Our public thinks that everybody who works in the library is a librarian. Yeah. And I've come to like the term library worker. I was about to say, where do you fall on the library professionals versus what library workers? Because we're definitely in Ireland and the UK leaning more towards the term library worker. I think it's a better term. Um, I the think differentiation being maybe in the, the titles. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of benefit. You know, I'm, I'm very, very happy with my master's in library science. Mm -hmm. um, there are things that I understand about how to track down the knowledge that people are looking for that some of my younger co-workers just don't have yet and, mm. and may not have until they get the education. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we have to take it to this classist approach of yeah, which I think has been. A problem in the past. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it absolutely is. So, I'm I'm one who absolutely values the masters in library science. I'm also one who says, whoever can do a thing in the library, then let's let them do it. Yeah. And frankly, wherever possible, let's be encouraging our staff to build out their skill sets and become ever more competent in the library, with or without a masters or any other degree. Yeah. It's really restrictive, particularly when you're working with, as a lot of libraries are, quite a small complement of staff. You can't really start right. you know, restricting the tasks that people do. I, I very much have the philosophy, if somebody knows how to do something, then, then more them power to you, let them do it. <laughs> yeah. It means me not having to do it. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to like where your move into the library world began. Like When was the first time that you thought, hmm, Librarian, maybe that's a thing I could do. So um, I did do work study in college at the library, and I loved it. That probably for me was a really good um, introduction to 
what we talked about earlier, library norms and stuff like mm. that. Because I was working there, because I was reporting to a full-time employee, I started to pick up a lot of that. It made me a lot more comfortable in the library. Uh, and that was in the, the Perkins Library yeah, in Hastings yep. College. Yeah, I've been Hastings in there. College. We had a little walk around there with uh, uh, my, my husband and Hastings native and librarians allowed editor Michael Ferris. The, the reason for my unusual uh, for being location here, yes. at the moment. Um, so that got me kind of used to it. And then I graduated and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had this degree and I couldn't think of like what was actually is that the thing that happens all of us who have kind of general arts and humanities degrees yes, <laughs> we kind yes. of go I enjoyed my time there but what the hell do I do with this now mm-hmm. and uh, the um, the city library in Lincoln was hiring and this light clicked on that that could be an actual job that wasn't mm-hmm. just you know something akin to uh, you know, I would I would sit at the desk and check visitors in and out as one of my part-time jobs in college, or I would sit at the library and I would check books in and out as one of my part-time jobs. And then, like, seeing all of these job ads for, like, library work that was a real grown-up job was, mm-hmm. was astounding to me, and I realized that seems like a possibility. I would not hate that kind of work. Mm. And and I th- <laughs> that's interesting. That that that's how I <laughs> eliminate professional career choices as well. Well, these are the things that I won't hate doing. Right, right. And actually, I might be good at this. Right. Well, and it, it kind of comes around to I might be good at this from like, oh, I could actually stand to do that. I, c- I can and then, tolerate that. <laughs> right. Sort of by you know process of elimination, you get down to, um, well, in my case and your case, library work. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, and you know, one of the ideas behind this podcast is I think most librarians are accidental librarians. I don't know that I've ever met anyone. I think I've met one person who said I wanted to be a librarian when I was in you know, the last couple of years of secondary school or kind of going into college. Right. But n- no one goes directly into libraries. Right, nobody... Even as an undergrad, it's very, very rare. You have nobody to kind of have up. had a little bit of a journey before you decide to that libraries are the place for you to settle. Nobody wakes up at uh, six years old and like, oh, I want to be a fireman. I want to be an airplane pilot. I want to be a librarian. I guess we don't, um, we don't quite have We really need to get image. more action figures, I think, is what we need to do. Yes. I mean, I know there is a, there is a librarian action figure. I, I own uh, Miss Nancy Pearl's yeah, uh, it's a, action it's a, figure, yeah. A common present for librarians. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, it, it occurred to me that that could be a job. The other thing that occurred to me pretty early on is, um, I mean, the strong way you could say this is it seemed like something other than just uh, gung-ho participation in our rampant mercantile capitalist system. Mm. It, you know, another, another way of saying that um, is it is a certain helping profession I didn't have to get rich at being a librarian. I could be a mm-hmm. librarian and I could make a living and um, I could believe in what I did and I didn't have to... I mean, I need to make enough money to take care of my children and pay mm-hmm. my portion of our bills and so on and so forth, but I don't have to 
uh, leverage my librarianship into more and more and more. It's not, it's not part of that consumerist capitalist. Yeah, well, particularly public system. libraries. You know, it's one of the yes. few places within a community space where you can just go there, and it's not, you know, a commercial transaction isn't part of the process. You, you, you are not expected to part with money. Yeah, you, you don't have library. to spend anything to be in our library, mm. and we're one of very few places around that does that. I mean, well, I mean, here's an example. Uh, Hastings had a mall once upon a time. It was we had a drive around there just last night just to yeah. look at how desolate it is. And over the years that I've been coming here, I've noticed that mall. It's, it's less and less gone, stuff in there. Yeah, it's only gone one way, that mm. particular mall. Um, it's quite nice to see that there's more stuff in the downtown area, though. Because yes. the first few times I came here, it, the opposite was true. The mall was very busy, mm-hmm. and the downtown area was, you know, shops were closing. Spare. and yeah. Um, you know, so I suppose you could go to the mall. I went to a mall when I was a teenager. I hung mm. out. I didn't necessarily buy anything, but they wanted you to buy. Yeah, you there. always felt like you were kind of not, you were not participating in the experience, and they weren't particularly happy with it when you just went there and right. you know, loafed around for several hours. Right, you are you suspicious. are loitering. You are loitering in a mall if you're not buying things, and certainly I loitered there. Uh, in a library, I mean, that's what we do, you know. Um, all public libraries, even libraries of our size, uh, face issues around homeless patrons and yeah. how to serve them effectively. Um, but the consensus is pretty much that we welcome folks here. I mm. mean, in practice, sometimes that fails, to be honest. Um yeah. And in terms of every single person on staff and every single library, you know, if you listen behind the scenes, you'll hear folks grumble about our homeless patrons. Mm-hmm. We do pretty good around here. I'm going to say we're not perfect, but um, I, I have seen improvements here. So my backstory is uh, 15 years ago. I worked in the same library, which seems impossible. I don't know how. Yeah, because I think I came in and had visited this library right by the time that you were working here. And yeah. it looked really different. Yes, it looked incredibly it's like different. A whole different era. Um, and we had some homeless folks there, and we did not serve. We served them decently, and there were staff on, or people on staff who worked hard to serve them. Mm-hmm. But we did not have officially as gracious an attitude or as helping an attitude mm. as we do now where you might hear an occasional grumble but the the overarching attitude from from top down now mm-hmm. is we serve the public yeah we don't discriminate about who the public is um, that's really one of the fundamentals of a public library or of all libraries but particularly the public library it's a fundamental and yet it's a it's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, this library now is much better than it was when I worked here when I was younger and didn't have the full MLS. Um, other libraries are not as good. They really are. You know, in the name of um, controlling behaviors, they're they're really placing barriers to entry mm. uh, on those who are um, 
you know, really in need of some assistance of, of various kinds. You know, the other trap is I'm not sure how much assistance libraries can give. I've got I've got a lot of ambivalence around um, libraries elsewhere in the United States that are training up to uh, deliver Narcan, the um, yeah. opiate antidote. My thought is... I think it's, it's, it's another one of those conversations that bubbles up frequently about where where the line is between you know the, the library and its active participation and its you know involvement in its community and what problems its community are facing and whether they are the ones to to step in on that particular yeah. issue and whether we're adequately qualified for it yeah and that's that's exactly it I mean our instinct generally speaking as a profession is to help I think there are ongoing questions about what the scope of the library is or what does a library do in a town where there are no other social services mm-hmm. like we are not mental health workers mm. we are sometimes on the front lines of mental health issues um yeah i think it's a very tricky line like you probably need just the ability to sort of triage a situation in terms of knowing when someone needs further and professional support and assistance and being able to find the adequate support services for them exactly beyond that we cannot step into you know providing professional and quality you know mental health support for someone who really is in a in a in a moment of distress which mm -hmm. is often the case when they arrive at the library we do often meet people at you know crisis points and and what is terrifying to me there um and i'll Launch a whole societal critique off of this if I am not careful. So <laughs> go I'm, ahead, launch a societal critique. <laughs> Rant even if you want to. Um, what I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think we are a frontline public service to our community, mm. but I think our responsibilities should be oriented around triage. We know who to call mm. when someone's having whatever mental health issues. Um, you know, running the gamut from law enforcement to social workers to so on and so forth. The fact of the matter is, um, we had a patron who's been really generally easygoing, um, didn't quite know who this patron was, really, except for mm-hmm. they were a regular user. Well, then they had a um, pretty serious mental health episode that we sort of noticed symptoms over a period of days and the symptoms mm. got worse. Um, they were involuntarily committed to the uh, short-term ward at the local hospital here, mm. and they were picked up by the police to do that. So what, what scares me and where, you know, where the societal critique starts is I, I believe that our job should be triage, and I see that... Uh, there's somebody. There, there, there's sometimes nobody to triage to. There's yeah. not the mental health. I was going to ask about that because certainly in Ireland that can be a. It's a significant problem. Yes. Certain parts of the country just are not well served by good mental health services or even you know good referrals to social right. support. Any kind of social support and certainly mental health. And then you think you know what. What do I tell my concerned staff when they're like, man, if I call the cops. They're going to go to jail. Yeah, you know, or for they're something gonna that get, isn't really their 
fault and they're going to yeah over. or they're going to get involuntarily committed and you know I, I will tell you without naming names i have staff that are going to react like oh well he is really acting out he just needs to go to jail mm. and that's a bit much and then i have staff who are like oh my goodness he's really in distress i'm gonna you know take him home and use my undergrad psychology class that i took once to like yeah. make him better and I'm like no no neither one of those yeah there's a middle point in there I think experience is where you <laughs> know what that middle point is between someone who's severely distressed and just needs to be pointed in the right direction and you know trying to step in and handle it yourself when actually it should be a qualified professional who's yeah and and when when there's no qualified professionals or not or there are qualified professionals but they're not readily available mm. you know that leaves us in a tough position you know that leaves yeah. us saying well you know i don't want to call the cops on him but i do need to have him not behave that way and not make the rest of my patrons uncomfortable and you know and i can't do this all on my own and i mean in the united states the stakes are not going down on that kind I of thing i was just about to say you obviously have the the possibility of you know someone being armed or yeah there was a, a incident there was a librarian in, in Sacramento Sacramento yeah yeah um, who was murdered by a patron mm-hmm. that and that did. was as a result of a confrontation because they were denied services was it yeah I yeah I mean it was it was all of our nightmare as mm-hmm. as public librarians and it is the reason that I do not ever ask any of my staff to confront patrons that is not. Mm-hmm. My staff are not paid well enough to get shot at. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not sure I am either, but I'm better paid than they are. No one's paid well enough to get shot at as far as I'm concerned. But I I live in an entirely different culture and I'm not going to get into that (laughs) rant when I'm here. Well, I mean, that's that's another societal rant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Tim's Library and Societal Critique Show. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's the, the, at least, you know, where where I work well because I work in healthcare services we're quite aware of who to refer on to and when someone is in distress and we have quite good guidelines about you know what will and won't be tolerated you know you never put someone in a position where they're uncomfortable don't ask someone to do something that they're not comfortable with um, but as you said uh, as as a, ma- a manager of staff you have a you know a duty of protection and a, a duty of care Yep. For them also, yes. so you don't want to put someone in a position where they're uncomfortable with someone's behavior in the library and they are forced to confront them about it. Right. Well, and, and I will tell you, I have worked in libraries um, where frontline staff bore the brunt of that, where, you know, management, management didn't want to deal with it. mm and management had an office they could hide in. That's the thing, because the frontline staff have nowhere to go to. Right. They're the ones who are going to get screamed at when someone's pissed off. Or yes. And so it's my job, and, and I am encouraged in this by my director, but it's my job to let staff know it's never your job to be screamed at. It's never your yeah. job to be on the front lines. Some staff will want to do that, and... I think giving them comfort and tools around that is something I don't mind doing. It's not something I'll ask of them, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I have to repeatedly let them know that's not your job to deal with it. 
if you want to settle it, if you want to take care of it, because, I mean, we're a community. Mm. Some of my staff know people who might be in distress and might have, like, a couple words that are just going to help them level out for the rest of that day. And if they want to do that, I'm not going to tell them, no, don't do that. But I am going to tell them it's never your job. You are never required to do that. Like you said, I will not put my staff uh, in positions that they are not comfortable in. Mm. Um, I do want to continue to, to grow and help them learn to be comfortable as frontline service workers, um, but not beyond their comfort level. Yeah, it's not a position anyone should ever be forced to be in. So you, you've been in this role for about six months, but you were in academic libraries before that. So when you first qualified, you were in the academic library zone. Um, how do you feel the difference is? Because I, I have never worked in a public library. I've worked in academic libraries and specialist li- libraries and health. And within within each kind of sector of the library world, there there's a lot of subtle and not so subtle differences. Yes. Um, we're a small public library, relatively speaking. Um, I have a director who generally trusts us and lets, lets us work. So that's an important component. Mm. But then within that, we have no boundaries around the community we serve. Mm. Um, uh, one telling example, I used to check out uh, hot spots to college students or coaches who were taking their teams mm-hmm. uh, to travel to a competition, et cetera, et cetera. When I was a college librarian, that was never a problem. I always had leverage to get those hot spots back. Mm. When I came here, they were just kind of closing down their hotspot program because we would check out hotspots and they would disappear. We would turn off the connection didn't matter somebody just mm. basically pocketed really a fairly low dollar piece of equipment but it never came back and we didn't have the leverage mm. to get them back now when I was a college librarian um, it was easy I mean you know shut down coaches access to the library entirely yeah and he's going to get that hot spot back. Yeah, it's funny how quickly they just sort of mysteriously reappear. Right, like, oh, but that, nice that that made its way back. I'm yeah. glad to see it. So um, coincidentally, I just sent them a <laughs> message saying they have no access to the library now. Right. Um, likewise, students. I mean, mm. if student debt got very high at all, you could be talking about, um, well, you know, think about whether or not you want to register for classes next semester. Yeah, so did you do that too in the academic libraries I worked in? They, they wouldn't get their exam results if they had outstanding fines, yes. including outstanding fines to the library. Those were the most abusive calls I ever got in an academic library. Well, People ringing up in that week of exam <coughs> results being released, screaming down the phone. Actually, often their parents. Yes. Well, yes, and parents don't know the whole f- story. Yeah. Like, it's like, look, you know, I emailed Jimmy multiple times. We, we have a record of all of the notifications right. they've gotten about all of these overdues. This did not just surprise her or mm-hmm. him, you know. Um, so so that leverage also meant that it was a certain community. It also meant that we would occasionally have folks come in from the larger community 
but we had an awful lot of control about you mm -hmm. know we're granting them you know these exceptions and so on and so forth um, that's logistically useful I guess I would say I do think the flip side of that is public libraries immediately bridge that digital divide mm -hmm. um, that's a buzzword that feels like 15 20 years old it's, at this yeah point. it's it's yeah, and I, I don't know how accurate it is anymore. I think there's there's a lot of kind of subtle nuance within the digital yes. divide as well. It's it's more about you know kind of digital illiteracy and uh -huh. stuff like that, and digital literacy issues than it is a, a divide necessarily. But anyway, that's a whole. I will rant. I will tell you this surprised me, but it, being back in public libraries, there are people who come here. We are where they are able to use a computer. Hmm. We are where they are able to connect to the internet. And I will tell you around here, this has happened probably in the past five years, you can't get a job at a convenience store with a paper application. Yeah. You can't get a job I at Walmart. I think that's the case everywhere. Yeah. And so so for those folks, we really still are bridging that digital divide, which, mm -hmm. you know, in college, most kids have a device of their own. Certainly they have at least a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Um they might come to the library, but they don't have to come to the library. There's some other device or computer or laptop that they have access to. Here, that was one thing that was interesting. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot more nuance with that old broad term digital mm -hmm. divide. But within that context, I will tell you here in this public library, we are still doing that. That is still a very real service for the mm -hmm. community we serve where they're coming in and they sometimes need assistance. They're like, yeah, it's an application for Walmart. They could have filled it out on paper and, you know, asked the manager about the parts they had questions about and gotten that paper application completed. But doing it online, filling out the forms, getting the cursor in the right place, mm. in some cases, navigating the mouse, some of these folks, we are assisting them in doing that. We, we really are still bridging that digital divide mm -hmm. in a way that's not common at academic libraries. Yeah, well I think at academic libraries you have the option to, there's always a class that they can go, I mean, they, yeah. first of all they're not they're not going to be there if they're extremely digitally illiterate. Right. They're just not going to have made they, the they won't to have, get into yeah, they won't have a made college, it to college in the first place. Right. Um, but once they do, if they do have you know, significant support needs, there's usually a you know there's another department or you know right. there's um, access and support classes right. that are available. So you just sign them up for that. So there's mm -hmm. a much tighter structure. Yeah. Whereas probably in public libraries, it's it's difficult to to kind of to plan for that because you you never know when. The support need is going to come up and you never know how much time it's going to take. Right. I don't know when they're going to walk in because mm -hmm. today's the day that, you know, they quit working at McDonald's and they want to go find a job at Walmart. We don't know when that'll be. They mm -hmm. don't know when that'll be until they're tired of McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult to plan for, I think. Yeah. As a, as a manager of staff. And how do you advise staff in terms of the amount of time that they spend with people? Are you open so to being able to provide the time that, that is needed on a one-on-one -on -one level or do you try to kind of structure supports? 
That's been interesting. Um, one of the things that I have seen, I, I would, I will continue to campaign for two computers at our front desk. Mm. Um, our front desk frequently gets, if not quite swamped, maybe in need of a little bit of bailing out. Mm. Um, I think one more computer would help with that. The other thing that I see happen that really um, kind of pulls us in multiple directions is if somebody walks in and they need help with that Walmart job application, um, some of my staff will just rotate right over there mm. and they'll all of a sudden be deeply involved and the desk is unattended. And, you know, some of these are like five minutes, show me how to get to the website and then I'll fill it out. Yeah. But then some of them are, I'm going to need an entire 45 minutes mm. walking me through it step by step. Now, we have... We have a form where you fill out some information, tell us what it is you're looking for. It's a technology help request. And then that comes back and we can review that and say, let's set an appointment. Mm. So I am working, that form already existed. Just in the six months that I've been here though, I've been working to really push the use of that form. Mm. Even if it is, hey, you know, it's 1030 in the after, or in the morning right now, can we do this at two o'clock instead yeah that just lets us schedule for that time and generally speaking even for job applications 10 o'clock versus two o'clock is plenty of time for our users and and if it's not then i'm working to normalize um pull somebody onto the desk mm -hmm. or if you want to stay at the desk see if you can pull somebody out to help them instead of just getting pulled off the desk and kind of abandoning the desk. Yeah, and then leaving kind of a, a backlog. Of yeah, and then you have patrons kind of wandering around going, where are the people here? Mm. And that kind of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think the thing that I'll be working with my staff on is as quickly as possible, um, as early in the process as possible, identifying, oh, okay, this is going to be like 45 minutes worth of mm -hmm. time. I need to figure out how to accomplish that, either rescheduling or pulling somebody onto the desk. Or, hey, this is going to be five minutes. I might ask somebody to keep an eye on the desk for a couple of minutes while mm -hmm. I get them started, and then I'll be right back. And then also um, extricating themselves. Yeah, from I that think that's, one. That that's the the skill. That yeah, needs from that to be one that looks like five minutes and is turning into forty five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, or, and this is what works most effectively, pre-extricating themselves, if I can kind of coin a term here. Yeah. Sort of knowing going in, oh, you know what? Or just having like a set phrase like, hey, you know what? I need to be at this desk right now. I can mm -hmm. pop over for a couple minutes. Do you think, now, would you like really maybe a whole hour to work on this? If we had somebody who could just sit you down and walk you through the whole process, would that work better for you? Mm. And then if they say yes, you're offering them something, but you're also setting it up to say, I can't do this for you right now. Mm. I will need to find somebody else to do it for you, or I will need to set a time even in just a couple hours. Because with a little bit of scheduling, we can do that. We can figure out what it looks like at 2 o'clock yeah. or 1 o'clock or whenever, and we can give you that assistance we can't necessarily just give it to you in that instant. Mm. I think um, that that problem exists in all libraries, and certainly when I was in academic libraries, 
you would always have that you know you would have the person who comes in and needs you know arrives at the desk but actually needs quite significant support and you know I work in health libraries now at all of our hospital sites you know we have people who come in and they really have very very complex and detailed needs you could have someone who needs material to support diagnostic decision making right um, so we have a system where you know they can submit a request online to have you know, a dedicated um, piece of research done yes you know they specify there and then how much material they need how soon they need it if it's anything beyond that they then set up an appointment to come in and do it like a, an, an in-depth consultation yes if it's something like you know they need to begin writing a systematic review which is a really complex piece of work or, or then something where they actually need to co-opt a librarian on board right. that goes into the knowledge brokerage service where they then kind of get someone assigned to work directly with them and the beauty of that is they begin to see that your time is valuable yes. if you're fully available all the time there's a sense that you're sitting waiting to be activated right i'm just i'm just sitting around waiting for yeah. doctor so and so or professor so and so yeah it, well and certainly man i felt so can i tell you uh, a, a telling and favorite and complicated story about my time at my previous institution. Go for it. <laughs> um, I had exactly that. The student came in, and he was just like visibly shaken with what was going on. Mm. And he said, "Can you help me with his anatomy and physiology?" And I'm like, "Man, I'm a librarian. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure you've come to the right place. Like, I am not a science librarian." Mm. But anatomy and physiology was coming up uh, in a couple hours, and I was in the middle of tasks, so I had to tell him, you know what, I I'm not a scientist, and I will take a look at that with you, and mm. we'll see where we get with it. I need to finish up a couple of emails. I had some things that I had mm. to send. So again, on the fly, I had to do some of that, like, sort of reminding him, you are not the only task in my mm -hmm. life. And you are a very important task, but I need to accomplish this task first. So 10, 15 minutes later, I was done with my email. He was sitting outside, and we sat down. Uh, he was from the Bahamas, maybe. Mm. So by the time he had gotten to central Nebraska, he was a long ways from home. Mm. Um, his lab partner was not particularly helpful to him. Whether or not there is an element of racism in that, I'm gonna leave that alone. Mm. But I'm gonna say that I would, you know, I would put it on the table. As certainly, there were cultural clashes and restrictions. Yes, that were certainly cultural clashes, and and honestly, um, his lab partner may have been a white kid from Central Nebraska who didn't want to be partnered with somebody of African descent from well, the Well, also Bahamas. white kid from central Nebraska as somebody who's been visiting here fairly regularly for the last 20 years. There's, it's really easy to be different like, if you're anything yes. other than, you know... Bone stock Mike Ferris or Tim Lentz. Yeah. You know, and Mike Ferris and Tim Lentz are just lucky that we wandered around enough to, you know, get adjusted to some differences. Mm. Um and that's but, no fault necessarily on, on either side. It's just right. if you're not exposed to things that are other than you, then you of course they're alien know. to you and you don't know what small adjustments you need to make to accommodate yeah. people and to meet them halfway. 
And so we got to work, and I will tell you, I didn't know any of the science, um, but I sat there and read it with him. Mm. So we just did some, I mean, he was perfectly literate, but we read it and we read it closely together. And as we started to share the reading, I would kind of ask him, so tell me if the question is asking this. Mm. And he'd be like, oh, okay, yes. And then he had the knowledge from being in class. Mm. He was a good student when he had all the tools. Um, He had the knowledge from being in class then to start to formulate at least decent answers. Mm. We didn't get everything done. But by the time we were working after about an hour or so, he knew he was going to go off to class. He wasn't going to get great marks on that paper, but he knew he was going to at least pass. And he knew he was happy with the answers he had, mm. where he had been panicking an hour and a half early when, earlier when he came in. So I learned two things, and this might touch on earlier parts of our conversation. One, I learned that um, some people just need any kind of assistance at all. Mm. Yeah, A&P, I didn't tell him anything about anatomy and physiology. I did not. Um, but he got a lot closer just by sitting down and having somebody look at it with him. And two, this kid was terribly lonely. He was far from home. Um, He was in a different place. I mean, I think he had made some friends, but I don't know how many um, adult support people he had been able to connect with at Mm. university. And um, on the one hand, it was really gratifying to be able to give him that level of assistance and then on the other hand I kind of thought like man this kid is at sea here yeah. and this whole institution is not and it wasn't just him that was in that situation but that was a really telling example um, you know I'm not going to go into any details but suffice it to say when this position came open I did leave my previous institution in a hurry It was, mm. it's nice to be here instead of there yeah. I, I'm not giving anything away to say that I know yeah um, I think we've we've all been in those positions where we're at odds with the administration around the us, direction and of the it institution. becomes difficult to carry out your your job in the way that is, you know, true to who you are in terms of your own ethos and in, the, in your profession and in terms of your own kind of conscience. And in yeah, in in and in the ways the institution deserves. Mm. That was the thing. You know, I walked out of there and I felt bad losing those kinds of connections and I was concerned for those kinds of students who Mm. had forged connections with me because I would just try to be personally and humanly available to them and you know I I hated to leave that behind Um, again without going into details I'm sane in this job Mm. on a consistent basis that was not always the case yeah. yeah. Well, that story you told just there is an example of where someone had been failed at several points. Yeah. I mean, if like if you're an, an international student and you go to study somewhere, there there should be direct supports available for you. There yes. usually are. Like, you know, I know having been an international student, there was you know someone is assigned to you. You have a, an, an advisor mm-hmm. who is supposed to make sure that you know. Look, any problems you have, you come to me. If it's if it's you're homesick or you don't understand the way, 
classes are structured here, um, you're confused about your, your classes, you're confused about anything, you need something, you, you come to me, right. I am your point of contact. Um, if someone is getting to the stage where that guy came into you in the library and he was really distressed, you know, he's been failed, clearly, at a, at a couple of points. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, right, well, and then that, that does tie back to, you know, somebody who's having mental health issues has probably been failed at a few points along the way. If they're mm -hmm. having their breakdown or whatever right in the library, apparently nobody has gotten to them or nobody has gotten to them in an effective way before then. Um, that, again, is, I think, an ongoing mission about, about scope creep. But, you know, what do you do with scope creep in an age where there's nobody to refer it to? That's the problem. And that, that's where the public library ends up filling those gaps. Yes. That's where, you know, okay, some of us say the answer is, yeah, I'm going to go get trained for how to um, jam a Narcan stick into somebody mm. and save their lives. I mean, you know, so I think good for you if you choose to do that. You're going a little above and beyond. But I also think... I get really cross at institutions that are then requiring their staff to do that because yeah. I will tell you, I would have a revolution if somebody was like, yeah, I'm going to go train you for how to deal with, you know, drug addicts. Like, mm. not that I'm not mission oriented and not that I wouldn't mind doing that, but if I'm given that as a directive, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not an EMT, I'm a librarian. Yeah. You can ride your horse back on out of here. I think the other issue is, you know, if, if this problem becomes you know, significant within your population of users, then, you know, it's it's about knowing how to be flexible enough to right. adapt to the situation on the ground mm -hmm. within your demographic. Right. So for this library, being all of your staff being trained up on how to support uh, people in drug addiction may not, it, it may not it's be not the, the, the best place to put all of your it's not energy here. and reserve. Yeah. That, that is not the crisis you're facing. For each library, it's going to be different. Oh. For your demographic, and yeah. assuming he's in Hastings, it's a, a quiet enough town. Right. You're yeah. not we're, having we're not, to deal with um, addiction I mean, and know, overdose knock issues. On, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, nobody's passing out in our bathrooms. Nobody's, you know, anything like that. That's that's just, it's it's not here. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure if you looked hard, you could find anything happening somewhere in this town, but... It's not prevalent, and it's not in the library or extremely mm. infrequently. Yeah. So, but yeah. It's all about, you know, service, the planning of service delivery is all context-specific. Yep. And one thing I've been trying to do here, I, I'm, I'm in some ways new in management and or administration. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do here is to build those partnerships out of the gate to say, listen, the library is a place where services can happen. It may not be that the library delivers all those services so much as the library hosts the yeah. people who really are qualified. Um, I think a lot of public libraries now, it's not, it's not, it's no longer about the bringing people into the building. It's about, you know, the outreach or it's, it's yeah. at least a 50-50 transaction of, you know, for as much as we want to get people into the building, we also want to be developing the outreach mm -hmm. and community collaborative partnerships. Yep. I want to get over to, you know, 
I mean, our bookmobile is a great example of this, but, mm. you know, I want to get over to the schools and I want the kids to come in here both. You know? yeah. I, I want us out there meeting you. And then that's a really good way to drive folks into the library as well. Mm. If we get out there and we reach them, they remember about us and come back and visit us both ways. So, yeah, I think absolutely it's ideally a virtuous cycle. Yeah, I think so. You know, but in, in, in addition to libraries being kind of an organic and living organism, they they need to, you know, their their walls, they, they shouldn't be just cont containing their collections right. within their walls. There, need, there needs to be, you know, the, the inside out approach. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, so we'll probably start wrapping this up so I can let you get back to work. But well, I was, I was where would say. you see, you know, at the moment, the, the priority being in terms of your focus of your demographic? What's What's the big thing that you know you're facing in terms of providing for the community that that visits Hastings Public Library broadly speaking uh, my goal is to serve more of the public in Hastings mm -hmm. one thing with that is reaching out to new arrivals reaching out to folks who are learning English mm -hmm. one other part of that is um Ironically, we have a lot of services that are really useful. I have a friend, um, she was my glassblowing partner the year Mike was not my glassblowing partner at mm -hmm. Hastings College. She is actually working in the mental health industry, you know, which has been a thread in our conversation, I guess. But yeah. she was working on guidelines for a population they serve and wanted research on it. Mm -hmm. And she said, can I get that at the library? And I said, I think you can. Let me figure out how. Mm. So I think there's um, I, I think there's a class of our population. You know, folks who are going to read all their cozy mysteries are going to come into the library. Yeah. Those folks are mostly older. Folks who really need to come into the library because they need to use a computer um, are going to come into the library. And then we're going to have a whole class of folks who are probably going to buy their own books when they do read mm -hmm. and do not think of us as uh, a resource for their professional lives. Mm -hmm. But I believe that we are. So ironically, I want to get young professional folks into the... Mm -hmm. and young, do you do any collaboration, like providing um, kind of hotspots? Spaces for startups. And I know a lot of the not, libraries in Ireland are doing that, and I certainly yeah. in the bigger cities because office spaces, it's really expensive to rent right. somewhere, and people don't always want to work from home. So, providing in the bigger libraries anyway, providing spaces for you know, people to come in and, and work. Like yeah, small, not, not yet. Space. There's a, um, there's a co working uh, office space in Lincoln. And our space is built so that we can do a lot of that. Those mm -hmm. study rooms, for example, you could really hold your office hours or something yeah. in your study rooms. We've got connections. The doors close. You could do your um, teleconferences in there very easily. Mm -hmm. I think we have some of the tools. But, yeah, that's the kind of thing where it could be like, you know, look, I'm not competing with big businesses. But if you're a one-person consulting firm run out of our library. Go get a post office box yeah. for your official mail and run your business out of our library and, and know that we have resources to support mm. that. Um, so I think I, I think there's segments of the public who don't know why they need libraries or don't know what libraries can do for them. 
Um, and I think reaching those folks, I'm kind of that's kind of emerging as my as mm. my mandate going forward. Well, we'll watch this space and see what exciting things are developing in Hastings Market. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much for having a chat with me. This has been really interesting, having known you for so long, and how it's just odd that we, we both ended up in libraries. Um, so it's nice to have been able to sit down and have a chat with you on a professional level. Too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, we should do more of this. Honestly, if you're working in health librarianship, I mean, I don't know if our institution would have the money, but we need to think about those kinds of things. We're, you know, we're not in the middle of the opioid epidemic, but we need to think about how to refer and how we can forge connections with the health industry, health profession. Mm. Let's not let it be an industry. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll try to wangle a way to hire you back as a consultant. Yeah, I, I, I'm just looking forward to the next time I get to come and visit here. Uh, yeah. Not just because I need to come and see my in-laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks very much, Tim. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Tim, uh, not just for sitting down and having a chat with me, but for the lovely tour of Hastings Public Library. Uh, so I'd really highly recommend anyone who is in Hastings, Nebraska, or is uh, heading down I-80 on their way to Colorado, maybe, or passing through that area, to drop into to Hastings and check out their lovely welcoming uh, space, have a look at their maker space, and just uh, go in and say hello to Tim Lance and let them know that uh, Librarians Allowed sent you. As a Nebraskan, I highly recommend. Uh, so thanks, thanks to Tim. Uh, so hopefully we'll get another episode out, uh, get on a little bit more frequent uh, schedule now. But as always, thanks for for tuning in to Librarians Allowed. If you like what you hear, do go to your podcast catching device of choice and give us a rating and review it helps other people find the podcast librarians allowed is produced and presented by laura rooney ferris music and editing is by michael ferris 